Hey, Father Harrison. Father Anthony. Let me tell you about my week. Okay, let, let's do it. Okay, so, uh, first thing that happens this past week, I get a call from uh, someone whose mom is a parishioner. And there's a, uh, these two ladies who live in an apartment uh-huh. near Newcastle, and they're uh, freaking out because um, stuff from their apartment has been disappearing. They've been hearing knocking around the house, like inside the house, not coming from outside. Mm-hmm. They're freaking out. Now, I'm thinking this is from an older place in Newcastle. They've been in this apartment for two months. Stuff makes noise. But I'll go. I'll go and bless everything. No problem. So I go have a conversation with them and blah, blah, blah. Bless everything. No problem. Thinking it's, yeah, whatever. It's done. That night, I go to bed. Happy to fall asleep after a good day of priesting. In the middle of the night, right above my bedpost, I hear... Oh. Aggressive knocking. And it wasn't like... It wasn't a part of the dream. Because I was dreaming about something. I forget what. But it came Mm. from outside the dream. I remember waking up. And my first thought was oh this is father brendan but like no it's the middle of the night it's not him and like the aggressing the knocking was like you felt and why would he be knocking on your bedpost right that's weird okay so <laughs> thanks demons for ruining my sleep now this sometimes will happen yeah the lord will allow us to happen to let you know what was going on in the house and not that i want to you know gripe against our all-knowing and all-loving lord but you know what jesus to be perfectly honest Leaving me a sticky note would have been sufficient for that, okay? So that happened. Didn't get any sleep. The weekend happens, and everyone's acting crazy. We've got new hymnals, and people are like, "Leave! we're going to leave the church because these hymnals, I don't know, they're too blue or something. And that <laughs> drove me crazy. Uh-huh. And then just other goofy stuff happened. I, won't, I don't want to name names or anything, but it was just a very frustrating weekend. The pastor's away, so I was doing a lot more stuff. And there was good stuff. There was good stuff. Like we started our religious education, and that was delightful. I did a baptism. Super cute baby. Uh-huh. Wonderful. Yeah. But it broke my brain a little bit. Uh huh. And then today, I'm getting ready for the podcast. I need to print out something for an evangelization talk I'm giving later tonight. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'll go print this out. And then the freaking copier is not working because you need to get rid of the. You need to empty the toner garbage. Apparently, there's garbage toner you need to empty out. And this took like a whole freaking 45 minutes to do. And then I get to the rectory, and my internet doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It just it just broke. Like, my ethernet. I don't know why. Nothing's changed. Nothing's different. It was working yesterday. So now I have... I try to do a new ethernet cable, because my ethernet cable has been a bit of a mess. So I get a new one. Plug it. Doesn't work. So now I'm plugged into the freaking hotspot on my phone, using up my data... Because even though I get unlimited data, I don't get unlimited hotspot. And I, I'm just so frustrated. So you're having a week. I am having a week, <laughs> Father Harrison. <laughs> Freaking just... Ugh. Does it feel good to get this off your chest for everyone to little hear? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. The only thing that's keeping me going is my constant anger and frustration. That's what wake, that's been. That's when the reason I've been waking up in the morning... That's what has been powering me through meetings is just pure boiling rage. Uh-huh. And on that note, welcome <laughs> to Clearly Speaking. I just love... How was your week? I, Did you have a good week? I, I, I just love how you just didn't allow for any conversation with that. You're just like, all right, I've let it off. I'm done. Father Harrison, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. Oh, wait. What? Before you go. Yeah. 
uh, Nick and Riley. Producer Nick and, and his girlfriend Riley are engaged now. I know. Isn't that happy news? It, okay. Let's let's before I go into my week, let's just taper some of this off with some good stuff. Like that. Okay. Right. Yes. I was literally in tears on Thursday night when I got the texts. It's so beautiful. So uh, for those of you who are longtime fans of the podcast, you know a little bit about the story. Basically, early on in the first few episodes of the podcast, I would constantly talk about how our producer, my brother, Nick, is single. Mm -hmm. And then, long story short, he basically got a date through our podcast. Yeah. And he started dating this girl, Riley, and she's wonderful and amazing, uh, at uh, Riley McCatholic on Twitter. And things have been going really well. She recently moved to Pittsburgh. And just the other week, they got engaged, and this is how it went down. It was amazing. So we have this... uh, place um this church called saint patrick's it's downtown and it's a replica of the holy stairs right so the stairs yeah, that I'm, jesus would have climbed up we went to there meet, we were uh, we went there when we were in pittsburgh yeah yeah so you can like do this thing where you um you walk up the stairs on your knees and you offer prayers for each one you're, you know that you go up yeah and so they did this one night they get to the top nick proposes beautiful wonderful absurdly catholic very proud of my little brother yeah and super excited that he's marrying someone as cool as Riley. So that was great news. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's that's the end. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm really sporadic, so you won't be able to tell like when I'm done with a con- I'm just going to yell the entire podcast. You can guess when it's time to jump in. I have, I have a beef to make with producer Nick, though. Oh, please. Why is he kneeling in front of a creature when the Lord of the Universe is in the tabernacle behind him? True, true. But do you realize what knee... He has knelt down on. Yeah, the sinister knee. No, that's not how it works. (laughs) I mean, what's he saying about Riley by going down on his left knee? No, he was doing that on purpose because you (laughs) kneel with your right knee before Eucharistic Lord, and then you do your left knee if you're being like knighted or something or proposing. I thought it was very cute. (laughs) How dare you? Someone's just got to. Someone's got to give them a hard time. (laughs) No, the photos were great. Yeah, Riley was beaming, and it was just beautiful to see. And honestly, I can die a happy man with this podcast mm-hmm. if this is all the good that has come of it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's a, it's a big win. But before you know, it's not the only good that's come of this podcast. Have we done other good things? So I guess producer Nick used the Twitter account this week to say what were your favorite episodes so far, uh-huh. right? I don't know. He does this stuff once in a while. And, yes, that's uh, why we pay him. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, we, we don't know how to tweet or ever have time to tweet, right? So Never. Never. Um, <laughs> I was, like, kind of getting close to tears again when, you know, I've heard from a few people who are Protestant who said that they've become convinced of the Catholic Church because of our podcast. Uh, some because of episode four is now seriously discerning religious life. Amazing. Um, so a few people have gone back to confession or gone back to mass because of the podcast. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the Lord will use our silly podcast. Yeah. Good work. That's pretty awesome. So God is good. God yes. is good. All glory to God. Amen. So I say mm-hmm. all the good stuff because I too have had a week. Oh, have you? Not this week. This week is kind of slowly getting better. Mm-hmm. Last week was rough. There was a reason I didn't tweet much last week. I didn't have time to tweet last week. That, that's like zero time. That pretty much was my week. Or if I had time, I was too exhausted to even look at my phone. Uh-huh. 
Uh, it started off on my day of rest, which I had to give up for a funeral, which is fine. You know, you do those things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when I agreed to this, I was like, okay, fine. That happened. Um, and then just that essentially every day was a 14 hour day that whole week. Oof. Yeah. I had three funerals that week, two of which were active parishioners in our parish. So, you know, everyone was taking it kind of hard because yeah, they're like, although the third one was beautiful. The church was packed. It was standing room only, which is always an amazing funeral to be at in that sense. I had an inurnment. I had to meet about cemeteries. I had a clergy meeting all day Tuesday and, uh, Thankfully, I had the sanity to realize, like, I was supposed to be at our healthcare workers mass because I'm the dios. I'm on the diocesan healthcare committee. I'm supposed to be there on Wednesday night. I said to Bishop, "I ain't going. I'm sorry." I uh, well, I I just said I don't think I can make it because of all the funerals and all this stuff. And if I don't, if I go, I won't have time to do the things I need to do to get ready for not just for the funerals, but the other things that have that are still on this week that I need to take care of with the funerals on top of that. And he said that's fine. No, he was fine with that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. No, he, I don't need to be there really. So, which was good because Wednesday I just plowed through all my admin stuff that I needed to take care of. Got all my stuff ready for our meetings. Like on Friday, we had a three-hour meeting for on our cemetery because it hasn't been dealt. No one's dealt with it in like twenty years. Oh wow! Yeah. There's no board of trustees or anything, so I had to establish all that. Um, oh, yeah. But then. I guess to just add on top of all that, I also just got a lot of complaints that week. And who would complain about you, Father Harrison? Or just, we're, Father, we need to do this in the parish. Or, you know, uh, you need to do that in the parish. You know, it's just, and, or you need to be at this, or you need to be at that. And I'm just like, and it, it was like the worst week for people to say that to me because I'm like, I'm literally giving everything right now. I don't have, I cannot, I don't have by location. I can't be anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Friday night, I was in my bed by 9.30 at, Clinton, at night. I, I was trying to write homilies. I stopped, and I just kind of sat there for 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to bed. I can't. And I fell asleep by 10. Well, amazing. Which is amazing. For you were tired. Even with your super Darth Vader face mask that makes you sleep good. Yeah. Even with all of that, you're tired. Oh, no. I was like, if I didn't have this, I don't know if I would have. I don't know if I would have kept sane. You might, be, you might have been dead. Yeah. So then you had all the funeral stuff, and then... Yeah, and then Sunday it was masses and stuff, and then I had started our young adult group at St. Peter's Parish, and then mass there. So I phoned up my buddy Father David. I said, "On I, I phoned him up during the week. And I said, what are you doing on Monday?'" He goes, "Nothing." I said, "We need to hang out." <laughs> yeah, nice, good. So I said, so I went up to his parish after mass on on Sunday night, slept there, and we just hung out, played some video games, uh, had breakfast, just chatted, went for a beer. And I came back and I felt a lot better. So I always find, like, I don't know about you. I find, like, you get, like, three to four weeks like that a year. Yeah, you know, it's that time of year. Like, one, my pastor's away. So yeah. I take up, you know, a lot of the more of the funerals. And the year starting up academically with everything. And it's just one of those things. And there's a lot of transition in the parish. So it was just kind of a perfect storm of a week. And that all being said, my crankiness being very genuine. Yes. Like, there were some really beautiful moments during the weekend. Um, like, the baptism was wonderful, the masses. Yep. I, I was visiting classrooms uh, the first day of CCD, and uh, this one little girl, um, she's the daughter of one of our secretaries, and she is, she has a lot of personality. And she runs right up to me and says, hi, 
and just looking right up at me. I said, hey, what's up? And I forget why I chatted with her about what we talked a little bit. She gives me a big hug. She goes back to her seat, and one of the students must have asked her something, mm-hmm. and she goes, that's my mom's boss, which was <laughs> hilarious because I'm definitely not that, that secretary's boss. I'm right. just the parochial vicar, yeah. but I was super excited to tell her the next day, hey, guess what? I'm your boss now because your daughter said so. So there were really, nice. like, a lot of really good, beautiful yeah. moments and oh, all yeah, that. Yeah. And, but sometimes, woo. I know. It's just, it's you, just, it's just, it just wears on you. Yeah. Like I had, although like, yeah, I, I had some similar things too. Like the funeral I did on Saturday, I had like 40 people come up to me and say, that was one of the best funeral homies I've ever heard. That's, yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. Or that was the best homily I've ever heard from you. And then that yeah. weekend. So here's the other thing though, too. I tweeted about this. I, I was trying to prep my weekend homily and I was writing it and I knew it was harsh. But I'm like, yeah. hey, sometimes God got, has to preach a harsh word. That is true. Right? But as I was sitting there on Saturday night, I realized that the harshness was not coming from God, but was coming from me. It was coming from the crankiness. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. I threw out my homily. Yeah. Yeah. I preached extemporaneously. I think I got the same point across about evangelization and that yeah. uh, the laity have an essential and integral role in this. Uh and that's one of the great secrets that's been lost by the second that was always part of the council that no one seems to talk about um but yeah it was i'm glad that week is over yesterday was also a long day but the weeks kind of starts to slow down a bit and i can kind of get my head back to normal thank yeah, you jesus good. for prayer <laughs> amen seriously without my prayer life times, I'd be, i just like yeah yeah I, a few times I just like ran into I didn't have like a lot of time but I just ran into the, our little chapel yeah. and just placed my hands on the tabernacle and was like <gasps> ah! and then went to do my next like thing and like that was my prayer for that day that's all I could you know manage. if you ever became a bishop would you do that at, or, at ordinations just like go to the guy's head place your hands <laughs> on his head and go ah! just the part where the bishop's supposed to do a silent prayer yeah. just scream at each one you know what that, I mean I think there's I think there's some value in that, you know, because sometimes that's what the priesthood is, <laughs> you know. But in all this insanity, it's good to have certain things that you can count on, you know, yeah. certain things that like, oh, this is this is the routine. I know what goes into this. Yeah. It kind of centers you. Yeah. And really nothing centers me more during the week than the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. We talk about the So there you go. There we go. Nice. Suma, yeah. A nice yeah, non-Thomas yeah. transition. I know, because I couldn't think of any way to like a screaming priest and Thomas Aquinas. Maybe he was like that. Right. Maybe that was the part that his um his secretary priest buddy didn't write about. That after he had that vision of God, right before he said everything I've written is straw, he just went ah, <laughs> which I think is how I would react right. to a divine vision. Yes. Anyway. 
The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. First up. <laughs> oh, let's do this one. Well, no, I'll save that one for you, because I know you want to do that one. Um, <laughs> let's do this one, because this this is when I, I, I read this tweet, and I got angry, and I deleted all my tweets because I didn't want to tweet anything else. Okay. This is from Erin Manning, uh-huh. at M. Manning Writer, and she has a little thread, but it begins, Priests of hashtag Catholic Twitter, if you want to be deeply appreciated by young Catholic families... Stop making parents attend mandatory baptism classes for child 2 through 12. Instead, have a brief meeting in which you, not the secretary or the DRE or anyone else, meet with the parents, chat with them, congratulate them, blah, 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 blah. And it goes on. And I totally get where she's coming from. Right. And I've actually done this before with families. Uh, A buddy of mine wanted their, um, actually their first kid baptized. But the father, he was in seminary for like six years Mm -hmm. and now teaches at Catholic school. Um, The mom is super Catholic. So I was like, guys, you don't need to go to the class. Yeah. But one thing I did tell them is like, I would appreciate you going to the class Mm -hmm. for the sake of the other families. Right. Because now you can be a witness to them. And so that's my argument for still going to class. It's tough because I totally get like you have so much to do as a as a young Catholic family with a bunch of kids running around and a lot of times those mandatory classes can feel like one more thing. And I totally get that. Yeah. And I think that's when it's important. It's like you can always reach out to the priest and be like, hey, we've gone through this a few times. How about you come over and to our crazy house and into our crazy lives and either have dinner or just hang out for a little bit. We can have a meeting like I think Mm -hmm. people should always feel free to talk to their priests if they have special circumstances. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, like, we can't, like, with the state of the church that's in now, we can't guarantee that every parent is well catechized. And we have to do something. Right. Not just just check off a box. Right. But because it's important for the souls of these children. And, yeah, a mandatory meeting, it can be run well or not well. Yeah. And I get that. They can be frustrating. But, like, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. So I get what she's saying. But also, just just that day, like, someone telling me what I need to do as a priest, I was about to, ready to lose my mind. So that was a little bit okay. a little bit from my own crankiness. But anyway, what do you think of this tweet? Uh, so I hear what she's saying. Yeah. So there's two things. There's a few things going through my mind with this, though. First is, I, I mean, I get, I like, I'm looking at the state of my diocese. And we're so short on priests, and the priests are so stretched. It's this idea that the priest is always going to be around for us is just—it's gone, folks. I'm sorry, it's dying, yeah. and it's going to be even worse in ten years. And we have to be okay with the fact that sometimes the DRE is going to be the person who is going to be our contact with this. Not because yeah. Father doesn't want to; it's because Father actually is going to have five parishes that he's going to be looking after, or he needs to look after diocesan stuff as well as parish stuff, or he's going to take on an extra ministry outside of of his parish because we're just so short on priests, and we're trying to make sure everyone gets the sacraments at the very least. So, you know, that's part of it. I, I I'm I'm of the principle that if you've done baptism prep once. You're fine. I'm not. Or if, heck, if you're a practicing Catholic and I talk and you go to church and I see you at other things, I just baptize. Yeah. Because same. for me, the hope is already proven to me. That's all I need. I yeah. just need that. They know what baptism is. They don't need someone to tell it to them again. So, you know, again, you have to kind of use your, your discretion a bit with that. Um, 
but we have to be, you have to understand that sometimes the priest will not be the one who's talking to you first not because the priest doesn't want to not because the priest doesn't care but the reality of the church in north america is priests are going to be less not more and we need yeah. to be okay with this uh we need to kind of yeah so um you know she goes on with different stuff like when, when i was at the cathedral when i had to do a lot more baptism prep stuff like actually i ran the program when i was at the cathedral mm. and um i made sure that we had babysitters we had we had a, oh, I had a couple of young adults there to help look after the kids while the or so that the parents could have and i, but I also try to make it a bit my thing with baptism prep though was I'm not going to tell you much about the sacrament. The sacrament's pretty self-explanatory. It washes you clean of sin, it attaches you to Christ, and it brings you, makes you a member of the church. That's the sacrament of baptism. Mm-hmm. You don't need to beat that down to people, but what you do need to beat down on them is who Jesus is, why he died for us, and what is the church. So yeah. for me, it was like a moment of evangelization uh, to parents. And some and yeah, but I... I agree. Like the idea of having to have people do it multiple times. I've heard of people having to do it nine times for all nine kids. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. If you have nine kids, yeah. you don't need to do it the first time, probably. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. So here, yeah. I think I think there's some fair points in this. I just think we need to also be recognizing the situation in the church as well that priests aren't not meeting not because they don't want to. It's mm-hmm. they're trying to make be available for everything as much as possible. Excellent. All right. I know which one you were talking about with that I wanted to do, and I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm doing it. Do it. I'm doing it. From Catherine at Zaketi. I know Zaketi. I'm not sure how to pronounce her Twitter handle, actually. Something Polish or Ukrainian. Anyways. <laughs> Number one best reason to have ebooks. My entire library is always in my pocket, and it doesn't take an eternity for me to pack my things when I move. Take that, people with libraries. And at Anna, Anna, or Anne Marie, Anna Marie, yeah, uh, at Annie A, tag me, and, and I'm very grateful for this because I'm about to go off. <laughs> I'm about to go off, folks. <laughs> so, first of all, like, about how many books do you have in your library? 1,800. Yeah. Yeah. About 1,800. Just to give context. Just, just to give context. context. <laughs> okay. There are some purposes to something like an iPad and an e reader. But not for books. For things like articles that you're not going to print, you're just going to read it once or something like that. I do that with often with academic articles. I have a bunch of stuff on my iPad, and I just can just read through them and do that. That's fine. That's different. Ebooks are dumb. They are the stupidest thing to ever exist in the history of all humanity. They are stupider than sin. They are an abomination <laughs> upon the Lord, anathema to the church, and a heresy in all forms of the word. There is a reason the church prohibits the use of things like iPads for mass. And there is a reason uh, the church true, approves true. liturgical books because books and God literally speaks to us through a book that is the scriptures. There is a billion reasons why ebooks suck and why physical books are good. And I'm going to give you just a few on the goods of the physical books. Mm-hmm. We are incarnational creatures. We are sacramental creatures. We need to touch, see, smell, taste and hear things to know things you're engaging more of your senses with a book not only are you seeing the words more directly through a page it's not because the thing is with digital media it's mediated through a screen there's actually an Mm -hmm. other layer of something you're sensing besides just the words it's more immediate uh with the book uh second um you are you have greater spatial memory Oh, I remember reading this in this book. Well, somewhere around these pages, you have this innate 
memory about things. You also remember where the book is on your shelf. You can't do any of this with ebooks. You, it has been psychologically proven you learn less by reading through a screen. Psychologically proven, it's like scientifically verifiable. <laughs> ebooks are actually declining in sales. While books, published books, like printed books, are remaining uh, just as strong as they were before ebooks. Uh, you do you lose all sense of spatial memory, and this is the best reason of all: the smell. Books have smells; they do, and especially like new books fresh off the printing press. There is nothing greater, maybe the smell of a new car, but it's close. That smell <laughs> of that freshly minted book as you open it and it wafts the glues into your nose is one of the, it is a foretaste of heavenly ecstasy <laughs> hey kids i know you think drugs are cool but you ever try <laughs> sniffing books, books? <laughs> <laughs> this plus a myriad of other reasons is why ebooks are an abomination and i'm sure that is exactly what they use in hell wow um i don't have much to add to that very thorough discussion <laughs> Mostly because I'm afraid to offer any contrary points. <laughs> Maybe just to affirm what you've said, I do have uh, my little e-reader, yeah. which is which is nice. But also, the idea of bringing your whole library with you is highly overrated, because you can really only read one book well at a time. I think, you know, mm -hmm. when you're reading five different books, I mean, we all do this because you know, Paul Harris, I'm sure you're reading a bunch of books at once, mm -hmm. stuff. But like. If you're going somewhere, just pick one book and commit to it. The, whole, the idea of having your whole library and like, because it adds like, when we're on Twitter, we're scrolling through a bunch of stuff. If you, if you have an e-reader that's also like an internet thing, mm -hmm. you're going to be distracted. You're going to hop away. Yeah. Like just having the book, making the commitment, sacrificing everything else for the sake of this book at that moment, I think is an important yes. thing. Yes. Amen. All right, uh, time for a tweet from Father Joseph Krupp at Joe in Black. He says, in my experience, if a priest tells you he's being persecuted for being traditional, there's about a 37% chance that that is an accurate statement. <laughs> I love that one. So I love much. it. It's a saucy tweet. Because so, it's very true. <laughs> yeah, I found it to be true as well. I, You know, so... I think when priests are quote unquote persecuted for being traditional, oftentimes they're only being persecuted for the fact that they're either moving too fast or they're being a jerk about what they're trying to do. Um, I mean, that's been the case in my diocese. So a lot of my priest friends who are, I mean, I, everyone, pretty much everyone is ordained around our time. Mm -hmm. We're all traditional, mm -hmm. um, more or less, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of guys we know uh, know the uh, the extraordinary form of the mass. Mm -hmm. At the very least, we're all about the reform of the reform at Orientum, um, communion rails. Mm -hmm. We're all about this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. But most of us know that you have to go slowly because this is a big change for people who have been used to banjo masses for a long mm -hmm. time and have experienced Jesus Christ in a deep and authentic way through a banjo mass. Mm -hmm. Like this is a thing that happens because God still is with His people, right? Just because we think there's a better way doesn't mean that people haven't experienced Jesus Christ in a profound way. And so a lot of times, I mean, I agree uh, that this is something that happens, that indeed sometimes people do get straight up persecuted for, uh, and, we, and we know stories of our friends too, mm -hmm. who might do something as simple as just chanting the collects, and that's all, 
and people are giving them the stink eye for that. Yeah. So it does happen. Yep. It definitely happens. But I'm always a little hesitant when I see a story, especially on social media, like, oh, I'm being persecuted. Maybe, maybe you're just kind of a jerk and you're ruining it for the rest of us right. who are going slow, being patient, trying to do this in a pastoral way. So and, well, I agree. And I remember, you know, I, there was a few stories that have been going around the last couple of years. And I think nowadays more and more because of social media, more and more priests know at least someone who knows that priest or something like that. Sure. And in every case where the, the byline is priests persecuted for love of traditional mass, it had nothing to do with their love for traditional mass that they were being removed from a parish. It could have been that they had a horrible pastoral sense or mm-hmm. uh, uh, lack of tact or um, over-scrupulosity of other people's sins to the point, you know, like and so on and so forth. I just heard, I've heard enough things from other people. I'm like, yeah, this person, but they get so into their own head about these things and they build up this whole uh, vision of their own martyrdom that they think that this is the heroic thing to do and they cannot submit to mm-hmm. the legitimate authority when it's being legitimately asked of them. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're traditional. It has nothing, it's like often it's a it's a significant personality defect that in that it interferes with their ability to exercise their priesthood effectively for a parish. Yeah. And like uh, just an example, uh, I was doing ad orientum for the college mass. Right. And my thought process was this is a match primarily for the students. It's not technically a parish mass. This is an institute of, of higher learning. So let's learn a little bit more about tr- tradition. And so that's what I did for a semester. Yeah. And at the beginning of this semester, my pastor came to me and asked me if I was doing this. I said yes. And he asked me very, I mean, we had a good conversation about it, but he asked me not to do it. And his reason was because we're bringing seven parishes together, the last thing we need is any kind of additional thing that might start a kind of factionalism right. in the parish. Right. And I totally got that. Yeah. And so there's just not the time to do that mm-hmm. right now. And that's fine. Yeah. And also he's my pastor. He's the legitimate authority over me. And I was happy to do that. Yeah. And he did it in a great way. We yeah. had a really good conversation. You know, he trusts me. He likes me. And that's all yeah. good. So like stuff like that, you just have to be patient with. Exactly. Also, I just want to add underneath that tweet was a tweet from Father Dan Beeman, who I hate because he has a blue check mark and I don't. But I also love because he's a really good priest. He doesn't and follow he says, me. He doesn't follow no. you? Well, I mean, maybe you're not cool enough. I don't know. Um, but he says, it's true. Also, secret I live by. No one hates you for wearing a cassock if you're also wearing cowboy boots. <laughs> Father Harrison, You are so happy me. that you're so happy I was to read so that. happy. You're, you're I nice. wear cowboy boots all the time and I wear it with my cassock too. And I was like, oh man, it's so hard to hate Father Dan Beeman. Like I want mm-hmm. to so much because he has that blue check mark even though I have more than double his followers but like he tweets something like that I'm like he's just a good dude he gets it so I just want to add that there we go yeah no exactly so uh my last one it's um I'm not gonna read maybe the tweet but uh Father Heisel at Father Heisel who is a classmate of mine in seminary he's doing his doctorate in Ottawa uh, in Thomism but he posted this article that I think we should maybe talk about is Catholic Church could ordain robots with significant, sophisticated AI as priests. Did you hear about this? I I, I didn't realize this was like a Catholic. A Catholic so there was Church the there was could... the Buddhist thing, but then right. a Catholic sister came out and said that this could be a something that that that, that could change. Uh, um, she says, "Take the Catholic Church. It's very male, very patriarchal." And we have this whole sexual abuse crisis. So would I want a robot priest? Maybe. A robot can be gender neutral. 
and might be able to transcend some of those divides and be able to enhance community in a way that's more liberating. And, uh, and she sees them as a possible partnership. We tend to think in an either or framework, it's either us or the robots, but this is about partnership, not replacement. It can be a symbiotic relationship if we approach it that way. Uh, and she also, she then puts into question, the Catholic notion would say that the priest is ontologically changed upon ordination. Is that really true? I'm yes, like, it is uh, true. Yeah, I was Sorry, like... I'm trying to yeah, be quiet. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, okay. Oh my gosh. Uh, now, oh my this gosh. is just taking quotes out. She may have had a bit more nuance. The headline might be a little bit of a clickbait. Yeah. But um, no, robots can never be ordained because they lack a soul. They lack, I'm, and I'm they sad. lack a body. They lack a, They lack everything that makes you human. Everything. I'm just really sad yeah. that you had to explain that out loud. Yeah, I know. It's just I so. Know. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Uh, um, okay. Okay. But before. Yeah. Go ahead. This, sorry. This sorry. Is, well, I'm trying to be patient. The first, she holds two doctorates, so you know, but um, the too much education uh, rots your brain. It can. I'm, I'm a firm just believer. Just because you this. have an education doesn't necessarily mean you're wise. So this is not the first time I've heard a religious sister question the idea of, of ontological or, uh, um, change in ordination. Mm-hmm. I've heard it before. And I think it's, um, I'm going to be blunt, I think they are rejecting a core teaching of the Catholic faith because they are actually attacking the nature and meaning of a sacrament of a particular sacrament that Jesus has given us in the church. This is not something that has been invented by a patriarchy. This is not something for men to dominate women or anything like that. It is a received bit of revelation that is required submission of faith by a theologian, de fide, and therefore requires absolute submission to the church. And if we reject it, we are maybe not materially, but we are at least, or sorry, we are at least materially entering into heresy. And that is yeah. a very dangerous position to be in. And I think it's an atrocity that she, a theologian, is saying this. Because yeah. you are rejecting something that is essential to the nature of the church. Mm-hmm. Robots can have absolutely no place at all, ever, in ministry. Yeah. Well, I mean, a few things. One, it's like no one's ever even seen the Terminator. <laughs> Whenever, like, robot AI comes up, no, no, no. Because as soon as you give robots advanced AI, we're all doomed. And everyone knows this. No one denies this. Okay, yeah. so that's number one. That should just throw it out by itself. But, like, there's a few things going on here. Like, the differences between male and female are good. God created them, male and female, both in the image and likeness of God, mm-hmm. and that is a good thing. And there seems to be a denial of that in that. Another thing that I have with either women's ordination or I guess now robot ordination is that there seems to be an underlying misunderstanding of the dignity of the human person. Mm -hmm. The argument seems to go because priests have power, Mm -hmm. therefore they have more dignity. Mm -hmm. The more power you have, the more dignity you have. And that is essentially an anti-Catholic idea. A bishop has no more inherent dignity than a laywoman. They're both equal in the eyes of God. And it's not being a bishop that gets you to heaven, it's being holy that gets you Mm -hmm. to heaven. So if you equate, and then also, if um, bishops and priests, we do have power, but that power is always meant to serve. A power is simply to help you do the thing you need to do. And it's not our power. Exactly. It's Christ's power. But just like on a, 
on like a normal level. Like um, if someone owns a pickup truck, they have certain powers that me with my little SUV don't have or someone's Prius don't have. And the what they need to do if they have a pickup truck is they're obliged to help you move yeah. from place to place to move your stuff because they have the power to do that. It's It's to serve. That's a silly example, but that's the point. If you see the priesthood in terms of power, first of all, it's not what it's about. It's about being united to Christ in a special, particular way so that you can serve the people of God and bring Christ to them. That's all that means. Mm -hmm. And then they equate that power with dignity. So the only way you are a dignified person, the only way you're an equal person is if you have the same power to do things. And that's just so twisted and wrong. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, a lot of the arguments for either women's ordination or robot ordination, apparently, is it essentially boils down to clericalism. Yeah. We're, we're only equal. We're only good if we can be clerics. And that's a really twisted way to look at the church. And it looks at human in a technocratic form. Like she has this yep. says, oh, I mean, my thing is there's we're closer to chimps. You should be arguing for chimp ordination before you're arguing for robot ordination. Um, Don't give them any ideas, Father Harrison, please. <laughs> I just want to see those sweet, sweet memes. <laughs> the sweet sweet memes please uh you know uh, yeah i uh, the church has a duty pastorally to work with theologians to bring them back to a proper concert with the faith in proper concert with the faith and so i would hope that wherever she's acting out of villanova so i think that's new york mm -hmm. i have no idea i think i i just hope that her local bishop phones her up and says I would hope that you remember the promises you made when you promised to faithfully teach the Catholic faith. Because if you can't, then we might have to question your future at this university. Yikes. That's but what yeah. I, I'm serious. I'm serious. This, and, I'm done. I'm done. Like... I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm <laughs> done with... There is legitimate space for speculation in theology, but it has there to is. take the data of Revelation seriously. And I'm yep. done with people saying, I don't even need the data of Revelation. I'm just done with it. Like, it's, 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 it's hurting everyone. Let's just stop it. Let's just stop it. It's stupid. It's stop. Make it stop. Yeah. And just, I mean, uh, as far as the point of, just a point on the whole patriarchy idea. Um, because of the original, uh, original sin, there is a great temptation for man, and I say man in the specific sense. There's a great temptation for man to dominate women. Mm -hmm. And we see this throughout history. Absolutely. And I have really good uh, female friends in ministry that have been treated poorly because they're women. And they've been treated poorly because they're women because of priests who right. are chauvinistic. So this is a problem that does happen. But you don't, you don't change the theology because of the failings of individuals. That's not how that works. Right. Um, so like, I'm not saying that I'm completely like, immune to like, the, the certain problems among members of the church. That's a real thing. And that's a really painful experience, especially because the priest is supposed to be father. Yeah. And the father supports and helps his children. He doesn't like discount them. Yeah. So to add that little part as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> All right. Um, I have no transition. It's time for presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the oh, best part. Oh, yes. yes. Quite. Yes, quite. We, we, we've been, uh, we've been doing, we, we've gone long today with both banter and Tweetalogica. 
Oh, we have. But that's some wow. good stuff. That's okay. That's uh, this, good. This will be good because these are just uh, what I want to talk about today are some thoughts that have been going on in my life, and they've been triggered or brought up in me because my my past week has been so rough. It's made me realize there's a lot of stuff going on inside of me that I I haven't been dealing with. And I want, I've been thinking and praying about it, and I want to kind of bring it up for discussion, at least for a little bit sure. um, today. So, on the podcast, Father Harrison, we haven't talked a lot about the the scandals going on in the church. Right. We talked about it when it first came up. I think we visited at least one other time. We did the Baron letter, right? So We did the Baron letter. We did do that, so when that came up. And we've mentioned it the, in different spots, too. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But yeah. like the, the 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 focus of our podcast has been in general the spiritual life, um, the life of the church, right? Because that stuff is important. Like the life of the church has to continue. We have to keep preaching and teaching these eternal truths. And by doing that, that's a healing experience. Yeah. When we when we start talking about the church and what she really is, that can be a helpful thing for someone who's struggling with the crisis. Right. But one thing I I've just realized in myself is that I really haven't come to grips with it okay. in me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I mentioned this 50 episodes ago, but when the PA grand jury report first broke, I spent some time reading it as much as I could, but then I had to go say mass for the Marian feast day. And that that little snapshot is kind of been my experience of the whole scandal. I haven't had time to process it because I just have to keep going. I have to keep supporting other people. I have to keep teaching the faith. I have to keep saying mass. I have to give other people reasons to hope. Right. And that's important, but I just kind of realized in myself, I don't know if I've really dealt with this. And so it, it's caused me to think a little more deeply about it um, recently. And the point I want to bring up is that this crisis, and with the, all the other little crises around it, has been for the church a deep experience of the cross. And we were all we were all asking for reform of the church. And a lot of times we get really angry and we want to see everything burnt down. And we want to see our dioceses go into bankruptcy. We want to see anything happen if it brings back purity and love for Jesus Christ and a spreading of the genuine gospel that is the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking more and more that this experience is the purification. And it's already begun. Okay. And because the purification, the healing of the church, begins with the cross. Right. But the problem is when we've seen that cross, and we've seen Christ's battered body on there, instead of flocking to it, I feel like we've all run away from it. Yep. When the crisis first broke, a lot of stuff on social media, among at least our friends, was this desire for holiness that a lot of people were like, man, we really need to pray. And I know I experienced that um, for myself. It's like, I need to be a good priest for people. I need to um, repent and reform uh, of my, my little sins because little sins make way for bigger sins. And mm-hmm. I never want to be a priest that does these things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and just uh, as a way to really refocus on my own spiritual life. But after that, after that immediate experience, as we learn more and more about incompetence, malice, stupidity, um, frustration, we become, we more and more have broken into camps. And mm-hmm. it comes out in little ways. It comes out in little ways. Um, in little ways when people are saying, hey, priests, do this thing. 
or when priests are yelling at bishops or when the lady here yelling at everyone. And I, I don't say that to like persecute the lady. I mean, it, they have every reason to yell. But more and more we've broken into camps and we're pointing fingers at each other. Um, a lot of the writers and bloggers um, are desperately trying to do something, to fix something. Mm-hmm. And all of it, I think what has happened is that this crisis has really, and sometimes unbeknownst to ourselves, revealed our own hearts. Mm-hmm. After finding out about the crisis, you know in your heart what you think of the church. Right. You know in your heart what you actually believe. It, 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 it's revealed to you. You know, I've seen people, and it, you can see it from the fruits of their online statements, that have gone into despair and have no faith in what the church really is. Right. Or that Jesus Christ is in control of this sort of thing. Yeah. And that was there all along, hidden, and now the church, now the crisis has brought it out. Right. Or like, um, you know, at the time, maybe my lack of prayer life. Mm-hmm. The crisis brought that out, and all of a sudden I was afraid of my lack of prayer life. Mm-hmm. But instead of dealing with that first and dealing with our own hurts, mm-hmm. because we have to keep going, because, you know, many people who listen to our podcast are involved deeply with the church— I think there's been an avoidance of the real thing, that this is the cross, and I think we've been running from it okay. on, in some sense. Right. Does any of that make sense? It makes sense. So I guess what the... So you say, like, running away from it partially looks like just, like, going up into camps, really proposing our own vision of the church instead of going into the... Ch- like, receiving the church as Christ has given her to us. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think okay. that's part of it, yeah. And then... I guess what else does so what does running towards the cross look like yeah and that's why that's what i've been praying about um i think it we're i think we're still in shock and we're still in denial hmm. about what's gone on because when faced with a catastrophic evil and what many of these priests have done is truly a catastrophic evil mm-hmm. is that you don't want to believe it's true even if you know it even if people are, are telling it to you and this was the original problem. I think even back in the day, if you read some of the report, some of these victims, they went to these survivors, they went to their family, and the family denied that it happened. No way. Father wouldn't do that. Or you hear stories like, yeah, we knew rumors, but we didn't know what to do with it because you just there was no one to go to. You couldn't go to your superior. Right. They wouldn't believe you. I think going to the cross means kind of not doing anything. Hmm. But, but, because uh, uh, not doing anything yet. That's what I want to like, say. Do you mean like not doing anything like, but you don't mean like if so, if you know of something, you should. No, like, yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Right. It's, Thanks it's for clarifying. Yeah, it's always important to clarify that, right? So, yeah, no, yeah. and that's what I, yeah, I, hmm. Let me think about it's, this for a second. It's, I think we need to, and we t- we've talked about this and touched on this, but taking a more Marian stance. Right. And we really need to just look at the body of Christ as bruised and beaten and pathetic as it looks Mm -hmm. and realize that from this from this darkness even though it makes no sense to us now we have to get we have to do the catholic thing which is stay at the cross right and stay there with mary okay i'm not quite sure what that means yet but this is something that has been coming to me more and more in my prayer life okay let me um let me think here I, i have some things going through my mind here with all this i guess at the first the first glance is we in a way 
the abuse crisis has also exposed the weakness of our faith. Yes. Because when we see Christ crucified, that is when we, which in this case, while Christ isn't the church, like they're not identical, right? right? We have to always make that separation because that's, mm-hmm. that is a problem, right? When anyways, that's how the abuse stuff can happen. When we see Christ in the church that's so identical that we mm-hmm. see ourselves as beyond reproach. Um, the when you look upon that crucified body we've seen what our natural reaction is we it's the reaction of the disciples they run away from the cross yeah they they refuse to look they see it they're terrified they're horrified they are um they're saddened they're i mean it, it's it's a whole range of emotions and reactions because this is not what they signed up for. This yeah. is not what they wanted. And so looking upon that means it shows that, and it's also that sin wants to run away from this because, I mean, this has always been my thing. I've been even trying to preach in my parish more and more is that we look at death and we think there is no hope here. Yeah. But the, the thing is you actually have to look at the cross to see the beginning because that is the beginning of our hope like in a way this is actually a very and I know it's probably hard for people to hear or understand this this is actually a very hope filled moment yeah because Christ is being crucified even more because of the sins of her members and the lack of action of her members and the closer we grow to the cross the more intimate we will be with his grace Yes. Because this is the beginning of the hope. This is where the resurrection begins um, in his death. But you cannot, and like, you know, it's Fulton Sheen's famous phrase, you can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. This moment for the church is Christ being lifted up for mm-hmm. everyone to see. All of the hatred of humanity for God, all of the sin was still bearing down on Christ during his earthly ministry. Mm-hmm. People were still as wicked Mm -hmm. and as evil. Mm -hmm. And those were the people who came to save. Now we see fully with Christ lifted up the consequences of that imprinted in his flesh. Mm -hmm. And it's our job first. And maybe I'm just saying this. Maybe it's something that just I personally haven't done yet. I haven't just knelt there with Mary taking all of his sin. You know, Mary was able and privileged taking um, the mysterious joys of the Annunciation. Mm Mm-hmm of finding her son at the temple, of seeing her son begin preaching, and all the joy and and confusion as well Mm -hmm. in those moments. Mm -hmm. But she also stayed there and suffered with him. Right. And the reason why she stayed was even if she didn't have, like she knows her her son Mm -hmm. is, is, is God on some level. She knows that. She knows the revelation. Yeah. But there's still, I believe it's fair to say in Mary, she doesn't know how this is gonna happen. Right. She knows that God's going to be faithful to her son. She doesn't know how. Right. And so she kneels there and she doesn't run away yeah. because she still has hope. Right. Because she knows that's where she has to be. Yeah. And I wonder if many of us haven't just knelt there. Right. Not having answers, but knowing that this is where we have to be right now. So that, that Marian stance that you're talking about is, you know, I guess... The way I think about it is, I think in a way, there's been kind of a theme we've been developing 
in a lot of our not every episode but a lot of our episodes and it's really uh how in a way it's like an ecclesiological thread mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah i think so that what is the church and what is our stance to what is our what is our relationship with the church because if there is no church there is no christ and what these actions and stuff have done they have um they've muddied the face of Christ so much that we wonder, is that still the face of Christ? Is that, is Christ still there? Yeah. And so it's by o- only when the church is conformed to the cross and only when she more willingly conforms herself to the cross, can she be most herself. Sometimes that cross is self-inflicted as I'd say in this case. And sometimes it's inflicted from outside in the yeah. cases of martyrdom. But the- I think, I was just going to say, I, 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 just, I was just going to okay. say like that that Marian stance then is is really because that we talked about in the Mary podcast. This is she is the archetype of the church. She shows us how we ought. She doesn't just show us; she actually guides us with her motherly care on how to approach Christ in all of this. Mm-hmm. And it's and in a way, the greatest response to evil is that silent adoring of God to say, "I can't understand it, but I know you're here still." Yeah. I think we've we've kind of forgotten and and shied away from this point because it can be difficult to express. Mm-hmm. But uh, it came across in one of the office of readings recently, where Saint Augustine just or maybe something I was reading, Saint Augustine talking about how Christians are going to suffer more in this life. Mm-hmm. We're going to be given more crosses, and that suffering that we experience it is a test, and it's not like a so much a pass or fail thing, but like like gold that is tested in fire. Mm-hmm. We're all suffering from this. We're all traumatized by this. But this is a cross we need to carry, Christ carrying it with us, so that we ourselves may be purified. You know, more than ever right now, like our Christianity is something we need to take hold of completely. Mm-hmm. All of it. Not not when it's, it sounds like a platitude, not when it's convenient or anything, but like, in the face of all of this suffering, where the world does not understand us, where we barely understand ourselves, are we going to stay there with Christ or are we not? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a messiness in receiving that. Right. And we may, like Peter, run away. Yeah. But we're also invited to come back. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, too. Like, mm-hmm. the Lord is, is going to be very patient with all of us in this. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why we are receiving this cross. And it is ultimately for our salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know... Eh, it's tough because, you know, this, this isn't the same experience as those who have actually been right. um, abused. Right. It's not the same. But I think for us who are just like just saddened and hurt by the church and maybe we know priests who are on that list right. or more and more stuff comes up or just as far as revealing the sickness in the church and Christ being lifted up, money scandals right. and just the mediocrity of so of not all but many bishops and priests mm-hmm. uh all of this is being revealed for us to see nothing's being hidden anymore right and that is a test for us how do we handle the totality of this yeah um and it is ultimately for our purification that going through this cross is how we will one day see god face to face and not be afraid to look him in the eyes mm-hmm. and accept all the love he wants to give us yeah. But first, we have to be here in this moment. And I think as a church, this is why we need to not just refocus on a preaching of the cross, but also yeah. we need to 
this is why I think we just need to really deepen people's spiritual lives. Um, and part of me thinks this has always been the case. Part of me wonders if it's just a 20th century phenomenon about, you know, there just, there does seem to be a, a, a weakening of spiritual discipline in a lot of Catholics. Mm-hmm. Right. But this situation forces us to look honestly and openly at the cross and say, if I'm going to go here, I need to double down and give everything over to him. Yeah. Cause if I don't, then what's the point of, you know, there's just no point to any of this. And I'm just going to, you should just, we should just run away. Right. Yeah. Um, so there requires like a, in some ways, that's why like, I know this is going to sound very weird. And, and part of it, like I have to recognize too, it's weird. Like these things hit me, but not, I think to the same extent as it's hit like you guys, like with the, grand jury report and stuff like that is because it just doesn't seem to be hitting as much here. Sure. So you don't hear it in day-to-day conversations as much, right? Um, yeah. We're going through our own cross. <laughs> we got a different mm-hmm. cross maybe, but, um, but the point is this is where I get a lot of hope and even an excitement because I just see if everyone can grow close to the cross, my gosh, this church can be on fire. Yeah. Because that is the witness to hope. It is the witness to say, yep, all this stuff happened. All this stuff is horrible. I denounce all of it. It does not represent Christ in his church. And I stay here with him on the cross. Yeah. And because that confounds the world. You know, I swear every week I get a comment, not necessarily from parishioners, but people around town. Oh, wouldn't it be great for priests to get married? I'm like, no, I want to stay on this cross. Mm-hmm. I want to stay on this cross because this is where Christ is. And it's hard and you can only do that (laughs) by a sustained relationship with him and a sustained fellowship in the communion of the church through the sacraments and through other Christians and with, and with the magisterium without any of that, if you don't have those pillars, it will probably break apart at some point. Yeah. And, and, um, this is another thing that I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about and praying about Bishop Barron in his letter um, called the whole scandal and everything going on. Uh, I think he called it Satan's masterpiece. Right. And there's a lot of truth to that. But more and more, this also feels like a massive last-ditch effort. Because if you really think about hmm. what happened on the cross is that God deals Satan a mortal wound. Mm-hmm. And like a, like a wounded animal enraged, he's doing everything he can before his final defeat. And so he's throwing everything at the church. And I think I think it's fair to say, yeah, in this particular moment, in a particular way, he is throwing everything at the church, but it's a desperate last-ditch move. Right. Because Christ conquers. Yeah. And God is allowing this. Yep. So I think there's, in a weird way, there there's hope in that. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and I've seen so many people who, who work for the church and are, you know, in so many ways crushed by this, they still believe. They still go to prayer. Maybe their prayer is more yelling than it was before, but they're still there. Yeah, they're laying their and hands on the be... tabernacle going, ah! <laughs> right, exactly. And to to frustrate the enemy's design so completely mm-hmm. by staying there with Christ um, is just signs of a greater victory that's to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. So I hope that's helpful. Those are just some thoughts that have been, that have been brewing in me. Right. Um, in the midst of all this, there's real hope. It's not. It's not fake. Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. That's all I, I got. agree. I agree. Amen. That was awesome. All right. Beautiful. 
Okay, so, um, and also, before we go, please consider donating to our Patreon. Money goes to paying our podcast. Money goes to paying for our equipment and podcast hosting fees, as well as paying producer Nick a just wage for all the work he does. And he really does need that money as he's planning for his wedding. Oh my goodness. Any money you collected go- that goes beyond that will be donated to the Missionaries of Charity. If you donate, you get access to the Producer Nick podcast, where he reviews and also ridicules the previous week's podcast. Go to clerically to get the Producer Nick podcast. Can I ask you one question in a joking tone? I know maybe okay. it's... Did you did you do this episode that today he can't ridicule you? You know what I was thinking about it, <laughs> and if he's if he decides to do, he's been. I don't think he will. Yeah. Nick, Nick, it, it's Nick, one for Nick a good has, joke, yeah. but uh, yeah, he's he's got good uh, taste. Yes. <laughs> uh, cool. So thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. You can find me at Fr Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at Clerical Pod on Twitter, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.